A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Today is Wednesday, January 29th, 2020. On this day in 1958, Teenage criminal Charlie Starkweather was apprehended outside Douglas, Wyoming, with his girlfriend Carol Ann Fugate. The arrest ended the couple's week-long murder spree. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest hosts, Rachel Fisher and Desi Jedikin from the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast. Each week, they explore both true crime stories and celebrity scandals. Great to have you both. Thanks, Vanessa. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel. And I'm Desi. We're so excited to be here. Rachel and Desi are here to discuss some of the historical aspects of Charlie Starkweather's arrest, while I'll cover the narrative. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, Listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the end of 19-year-old Charlie Starkweather's killing spree. In 1958, he killed 11 people across Nebraska and Wyoming with the help of his girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugate. Before we unpack the details of his capture, let's go back to a lonely interstate highway in rural Wyoming on January 29th. 1958. Charlie Starkweather could hear the ignition struggling to catch. He'd just jammed the emergency brake. The pedal system was unfamiliar in comparison to other cars he'd driven, and he'd stomped the lever much too hard. The car lurched with a loud protest. He'd stalled it. He had no idea where they would go if the car didn't start. He and his girlfriend, 14-year-old Carol Ann Fugate, couldn't go back to Nebraska. Too many police patrols were scanning the Heartland's back roads for the duo. They'd have to head west towards Casper, Wyoming, where news hadn't yet leaked. At least, that's what he hoped. Starkweather wanted to find an abandoned house to rest and regroup. Maybe they'd even find some disguises. He knew it was critical that they go somewhere where they wouldn't be recognized. But he had to get the car going first. Starkweather didn't want to be stranded on the lonely Wyoming highway with a dead man in tow. Out of the corner of his eye, he could see the body of Merle Collison, the vehicle's owner, contorted beneath the dash. In order to commandeer the car, Starkweather had killed yet again. They had found the vehicle parked on the side of the highway. Inside, 37-year-old Collison took a catnap. The humble shoe salesman, unarmed, had no protection from Starkweather when the threatening teenager pulled out his shotgun. Authorities later recall him as a James Dean wannabe, but Starkweather's menacing snarl was proof he had no hesitations with violence. After killing Collison with his girlfriend's help, Starkweather stuffed the body into the car. As if nothing out of the ordinary had happened, they were ready to get back on the road. 
but he cranked the key to no avail. Looking into the rear view, Starkweather saw headlights approaching. The vehicle was slowing down, and the crunch of gravel at the rear indicated someone had parked behind them. A motorist got out of the car and headed towards Starkweather and Fugate. In turn, Starkweather checked to make sure his shotgun was still wedged between the two front seats. A man knocked on the driver's side glass. Starkweather figured if he just rolled the window down a few inches, he could tell them they were fine and they'd be left alone. The motorist was cordial. It looked like the couple was having some car trouble. He was happy to give them a hand if need be. But just as soon as he'd offered his help, the Good Samaritan noticed the rumpled mass beneath the dash. He cocked his head slightly. It looked like a body. The man pressed Starkweather. Was everything okay? At that moment, Charlie knew the scales had tipped and they wouldn't be able to leave without an altercation. Muscling his way out of the car, Starkweather immediately lurched at the Good Samaritan. The two men struggled, kicking up gravelly dust. The scuffle was illuminated by another set of headlights approaching. The brights flashed once, then twice, then the police siren looped. It was a Wyoming deputy sheriff. The jig was up. Coming up, Charlie Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate are charged for their crimes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. 19-year-old spree killer Charlie Starkweather was spotted in the midst of a scuffle with an innocent motorist when a Wyoming police patrolman arrived. Authorities across two states had been searching tirelessly for Starkweather and his girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugate. They were suspected of committing 11 murders in January of 1958. Desi and Rachel are here to discuss Charlie Starkweather's arrest and the aftermath of his brutal spree. Thanks, Vanessa. Though the record is unclear on how exactly he got the car going, Starkweather fled from Deputy Sheriff Earl Heflin. In turn, the patrol chased him down the desolate Wyoming highway. Sheriff Heflin shot out the rearview window and Starkweather came to a screeching halt. Believing he was bleeding to death from the flying glass, Starkweather stopped and surrendered. He and 14-year-old Fugate were booked and held in a local jail before being transported back to Nebraska. The once inseparable lovers turned on one another. When Starkweather went on trial in May of that year, Carol Fugate claimed that she had been held captive by her older boyfriend. He was responsible for every killing. Oddly, Starkweather was only tried on one count of murder, Robert Jensen, one of the first killed in the deadly spree. 
This indictment blatantly ignored the entire Fugate family Starkweather had slaughtered and the other seven victims the couple encountered after fleeing Lincoln, Nebraska. Starkweather's defense attorney, T. Clement Gaughan, claimed his client was an idiot. Rather than try to ramrod a more nuanced explanation detailing how the teenager was mentally insane, Gaughan implied Charlie was a simple fool. But Starkweather was livid at the dissection of his IQ that followed. Consequently, he gave a snide, devil-may-care attitude to his own testimony, saying, nobody remembers a crazy man. It was clear that Starkweather had made up his mind about how the jury would find him. He'd rather guard his own pride all the way to an execution chamber than submit to being deemed mentally unstable. On June 25, 1959, Charles Starkweather was sentenced to death by electrocution. His girlfriend, now 15-year-old Carol Ann Fugate, received her own verdict in a separate trial. Due to her status as a minor at the time of the murders, her sentence was lessened to life in prison. The conclusion of both trials closed a chapter of homegrown homicide that shocked residents across the plains. Still, Starkweather's lack of explanation for his cold-blooded brutality perplexed Americans for decades to come. The sordid tale of the 11 killed would reappear in the zeitgeist as Hollywood retold the story. Terrence Malick's 1973 film, Badlands, portrayed the romance of Starkweather and Fugate under a sepia-tinted lens. And even the boss himself put his own spin on the narrative, Bruce Springsteen's 1982 song, Nebraska, follows the ghastly week from the perspective of Charlie Starkweather. The glossy retellings of that January back in 1958 were jarring contrasts to Carol Ann Fugate's persistence she was Starkweather's hostage, not his accomplice. In 1977, after serving almost 18 years of her sentence, she was paroled she claimed she wanted to leave the toxic legacy behind her. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks to Desi and Rachel for joining us today. Thanks for having us. You can find episodes of Hollywood Crime Scene on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mackenzie Moore, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson.